We had a big tease for you last week, a big, big matchup to start off our day here on the second edition of the Real Talk Summer Podcast. We're back with the Harmony Corinne. Still, ultimate tournament. We'll see for how long. <laughs> and we're also going to recast Ocean's Eleven later on in this episode, so stick around for that. I'm Ethan Jordan with Koki Riley, Julia Sorge, and Alex Weiner. Thanks for being along with us. But let's get right into it. The Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament. This is our 64-man bracket of the 21st century, uh, greatest 21st century directors. And, well, the man the tournament is named for is up first in our second segment of the first round, I believe. Is this – are we calling this the Beach Bum region? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, the Beach Bum region. And, well, the man of the hour, Harmony Corinne against Chris Nolan is our first matchup. And, fellas, I just got to say, when you make an all-time movie, a movie that's going to be recognized from the 21st century – you know, in the 23rd century. I'm just saying, The Beach Bum is an all-timer, cult classic. But that's about all I got. The Beach Bum, uh, all I'm saying is I've never left a Nolan movie really thinking as hard as I thought when I walked out of The Beach Bum. Uh, uh, okay. All I'm saying is I have <laughs> never fallen asleep faster in a movie than I did during The Beach Bum. Because you didn't Ooh. understand it. That's just a, yeah, that's a tough take. I, I, yeah, I, I, can't, I, I can't jump on that. I, I don't love this movie as much as Alex and Ethan do, but like, I, I mean, I really like the Beach Bum. The Beach Bum's a good movie. <laughs> the movie's spectacular, but um, <laughs> yeah. Between that and Spring Breakers, I don't know how you can go wrong with Harmony. Well, he's uh, consistent, right? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm you know what you're gonna get. Um, this might okay. be a Harmony. Corinne has. Has burned brighter, but he doesn't have as many movies, you know, as Christopher Nolan. So, you know, Nolan has a lot more on the filmography than Harmony does. You know, and I'll say this for Harmony as well. You know, sometimes a director can kind of outgrow themselves, if that you will. You feel like the Beach Bum could kind of be that movie for Harmony Corinne. You know, just too ambitious, too much going on, but he pulls it together perfectly. It's, this is not Interstellar. He's able to weave everything together perfectly. I'm just saying. That's true. That is true. I mean, Harmony Corinne does not have his Interstellar yet, or his Dark Knight Rises. So, but he's got his Inception. Yeah, we got his Inception say, instead. And I want to make one more argument for Harmony Corinne. Christopher Nolan has never directed a movie with Snoop Dogg or Jimmy Buffett in it. That's true. That's facts. That's true. Well, he almost directed a movie with Taylor Swift in it because Taylor Swift was almost an inception, apparently. So, just a fun well, fact. Was she going to play the page role? Yeah, she was going to get the Ellen Page role, which is so strange. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, he, he found a way to fit Harry Styles into Dunkirk, so he, he did get somebody. Harry Styles is really, Harry Styles is really good in Dunkirk. I, that, sure. Like, he's really good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dunkirk's a great movie. So, shout out to Dunkirk. Um... Yeah, right. I mean, this is a, like at the end of the day, this is a pretty shut and close case. But uh, I, I'm interested to see how far Christopher Nolan will go, and I, I think we're going to talk about him a lot more later down in the tournament. So I don't know how far we want to get into him today. Let's move on, Christopher Nolan, to the next round because I think I'm going to answer your question with this next matchup, Koki. It's Quentin Tarantino against M Night Shyamalan. Oh and, yeah, and the winner of this is who Chris Nolan is going to be facing in the next round. That's, That's not fair. 
that's, that's tough. It's, it's a little, <laughs> not, it's kind of not fair, but I don't know. Christopher Nolan's gotten a lot of good things in his career. Okay. So that's true. That's true. I don't feel too bad about this. But we don't have to worry about it yet. We could, we could all change our minds. Um, one, one matchup at a time. So we'll see if Tarantino even gets by M. Night by the end of this. That's true. Sure. <laughs> uh, so I guess it's time to have the M. Night conversation. It's time for the M. Night conversation. Where do you want to start with M. Night? <laughs> the question. Well, well <laughs> M- the biggest problem with M. Night in – Obviously, M. Night was never going to beat Tarantino, but, like, you know, there was potential he could maybe upset somebody in the first round if the sixth sense was in the 21st century, which, unfortunately for him, it is not. 1999, and that is... So, uh, that's kind of difficult. M. Night's a weird one because, you know, he starts the decade off, or the century off, fairly well, um, and then he just comes... I've never seen a slump like this before where you have Lady in the Water, uh, and then I believe The Happening, then Avatar, Last Airbender, and then goes right into After Earth. Like, that's a slump. That is really tough. Uh, and then he kind of gets back into it with the visit, and then split, and then none of us liked Glass. So, just all over the place. I am still so deeply upset that he made Avatar The Last Airbender into the movie that it became. Because Netflix finally added the original series, Avatar The Last Airbender, onto its platform, and I've been rewatching it with my mom, and the fact that that movie exists is the entire reason why Netflix is making a the live-action version of the series, because it's finally going to do what the movie never did, which is do the show justice. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton else to add. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a fan of Unbreakable. Uh, I think I've said that on the show before. I just think it's a really stuff. slow and pointless movie. Um, and then, I don't know about pointless. That's a little harsh. I, I, it just felt aimless. I guess that's the better word. Uh, that's the better way to describe it. At least from my I disagree with you there, but that's okay. I, that, that's fine. But like, Split's good. I like Split, and then everything else is just sort of you know, kind of fine, whatever. But Sixth Sense is, a, is a, like a great, great movie and kind of is the reason why his name is on this list, let's be honest. Um, so, I don't know. It, he, he's, the guy's had an interesting career. Let's just put it that way. Ethan and I loved Glass, didn't we, Ethan? I was, I was actually upset with Koki and Alex for making me go watch that movie. I, kn- I didn't want to see it. And I was justified in my response, I think, after watching it. That was a piece of garbage. Ethan and I would look at each other during some scene. Why are we here? Why are we watching this? After Earth is only, or I mean, that movie is only like his fourth worst movie at at the worst. After Earth Earth stinks. Oh my lord, that movie is bad. After Earth are are a pretty good top three for your worst movies. That's... That's really bad. <laughs> and all this, I know this century. I know it's it's like it's a full fledged run of bad movies in a row. That is just like I think with the village, I think it like people like kind of respect that movie a little bit more than some of his others. Um, but like starting from Lady in the Water in two thousand six, going all the way to After Earth, which what year was After Earth? 
2013. Yeah, that's a four year, like seven, uh, that's a seven year, four movie stretch of just like, what is going on? <laughs> so I don't know. Obviously Tarantino wins this because Tarantino really hasn't had a misstep. Um, and I mean, that's about four missteps in a row. We'll talk about Quentin Tarantino more later on. I don't know if we need to dig into his filmography just yet. I think it'll be kind of fun to do that when he faces Christopher Nolan in the next round. That We'll talk about them extensively there, too. But, Does yeah. anyone have any Lady in the Water takes? It's, that is an M. Night movie I have not seen. <laughs> you know, starring Paul Giamatti, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Jeffrey Wright. It has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've never actually seen the whole movie. Um, its audience score is really bad, too. So, yeah. Hey, just, Signs wasn't that bad. Signs is not a bad movie. It's fine. Um, but, you know, obviously, when his best movie is in 1999, he'd be screwed really regardless of who he plays in a lot of these matchups. Um, Tarantino is just a slaughter. So that's it. All right. Quentin Tarantino is moving on. On to our next matchup, Wes Anderson against another 21st century legend, Michael Bay. Yeah, Michael Bay is my guy. <laughs> Michael Bay, once again, kind of has the whole M. Night thing going for him in that his best movie did not come out in the 21st century. That's and true. So, uh, the Rock was released in 1996, and then Armageddon, which is probably his second best movie, it was in 1998. So, at least he has Pearl Harbor. Somehow, his decade or his century isn't defined by that terrible movie. Instead, he took over the Transformers franchise, and that is what will probably define Michael Bay movie career forever unfortunately if this, if this was based on how much money in in the box office you can get then michael bay goes all the way to the fight because i am still baffled by how much money those transformers movies make um like i don't know who, why people were just completely flocking to the theater to see age of extinction because it had <laughs> robot dinosaurs, Alex. I know, but it's crazy that that is like the thing that like got like everybody to go to the theater because those movies made a lot of money. Uh, yep. But yeah. you know, if you if you turn your brain off totally, then they're entertaining to watch in terms of just the action because Michael Bay is great at action. That's um, true. The camera's always moving. The, the the colors are popping off the screen at uh, at just ridiculous rates. Like it, he's he, it, I mean he's he's never like it's nonstop with this guy, and it's it's really disorganized, and it's may, might not be called like quote unquote good directing, but you know it's entertaining. So you can get just like, that. And you know, like, he has a history. Like Armageddon made a ton of money. That was a yeah. huge movie. So. It's like fireworks just exploding all over the place and like flares going all over the place. Um, yeah. And there's a lot, a lot of like dumb jokes and, you know, it's extremely, mm. everything, everything's extremely sexualized in some sort of way. <laughs> just his style. All his movies are the same pretty much. And there's a, there's a great sect of people who will flock to the movies every time one of those comes out, just because that's the kind of entertainment they enjoy. 
So it's just, it's never not going to make money because there's always that one person who's going to go. I will say this for Michael Bay. I will say this. Had he directed the Door of the Explorer movie, he might have been able to salvage himself. But unfortunately, he didn't. What were you going to say, Alex? I was was just going to go back to your, like, sexualized point because there is a, there is a just, like, a five-second shot in the second Transformers movie of two dogs getting down with it. There's no explanation or reason for it at all. It is just five seconds <laughs> pan away from like a conversation where like the dogs are just doing it and it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's just in the movie. It's sick humor. People, some people enjoy that stuff. It's strange. Um, it's just the way he shoots like Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck's romance scenes or, or like, I'd say almost any any scene with Megan Fox in the Transformers movies. It's like, oh yeah, it's fictional. It's purely fictional. Six Underground. There's like th- three scenes in there that don't need to be there that are like super sexualized. And I, I don't know. I don't. It, it's it's just strange and kind of funny and just like just just amusingly ridiculous. I guess that's that'd be the word. Michael Bay is the is the ultimate director for the perfect movie for a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> exactly. That is it's perfect right there. It's good if you're, young, if you're a younger boy because the action, all the kind of stuff, when you're 13 and you get those kind of shots and stuff like that, that's where it really shines. Um, and with the sometimes weird humor that he, he puts along there too. Six Underground is, is great though. I, I, for the, just for the record, I, I love that movie. Great movie. <laughs> so we haven't really talked about Wes Anderson yet. This is Michael Bay versus Wes Anderson. And I don't think there's any debate on who, like, the, you know, the quality of, of these movies. Um, just look at the Grand Budapest Hotel or Moonrise Kingdom versus anything Michael Bay has done. Yeah. But culturally and popularity-wise, then Michael Bay gets the big, the big nod. Absolutely, because no one, I think, like, um, I'd say no one really knew too much about Wes Anderson unless you were, like, a huge film fan until around the Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotels, pretty fairly recently when he, when he actually started to come up as a little more of a mainstream director because the Oscars never gave him enough credit and he was never making, um, like, bigger movies, so to say. Um so, it, it, I mean, when the Grand Budapest Hotel got all those Oscar nominations, that's when he finally—it's when he finally got his due justice. But I mean, this guy's been making great movies for years, really, and he has this little clan of people. Um, his little clan of actors, like Owen, the Owen Wilsons and the Bill Murrays of the world, and then he makes these, you know, strange, interesting movies that are also pretty funny. And uh, I, I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah, I mean, if we're just going based on quality, I think there's not a lot of debate on who moves on. It's just how much we want to put in the cultural, you know. Now, I want—I don't want to say impact because Michael Bay movies certainly don't have a cultural impact, but like relevance, um, we're putting in there. I mean, yes, they made a lot of money. But what was the real impact there? Like you there's said, none. There's, there's none. So I don't really care, I guess. 
Not enough for him to even contend with Wes Anderson at all. No, I agree with that. All right, Wes Anderson sweeps. Yeah, this is a a straight sweep. Um, And the Royal Tenenbaums is a movie I'd love to talk about someday. That's a fascinating film starring Gene Hackman, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller. Luke, Luke and Owen Wilson. That's a, that, that's a fascinating movie that really, really works. Um, especially for, as a Gene Hackman movie. They kind of build the movie around his character and it's fascinating to watch. And that was earlier That was earlier this century. And th- that's a movie that um, people don't mention quite as much as the Grand Budapest Hotels of the World, even though I'm a huge, huge fan of that movie as well. So then he's also made some animated films, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, which I, I need to check up on. So... All right, Wes Anderson on to the next round. Let's see who will be facing him in that round. The matchup is Bong Joon-ho against Gavin O'Connor. Bong Joon-ho, if you haven't heard about him, hadn't heard about him before, you certainly have now with, with his movie Parasite, but he's been releasing – he's kind of a little bit of a Wes Anderson situation where he hasn't gotten that notoriety and then finally did this year. And then Gavin O'Connor is a favorite of Koki's, I think, um, He's known for those things as The Accountant and The Way Back. Big Ben Affleck guy, Gavin O'Connor. Yeah, I mean, Gavin O'Connor made Miracle, which is arguably the best sports movie of the century. So that should be mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, this should go to Bong. Bong's a genius. Bong, 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 Bong. Bong could win this thing. I'm not kidding. Uh, I don't think Bong quite has an edge over Tarantino. I think... I don't know about that. For this century? We're only talking about the 21st century. Pulp Fiction doesn't exist. Pulp Fiction, you're taking out Pulp Fiction. You're taking out Jackie Brown. You're taking out True Romance, if you count that. And you're taking out... Uh, Res. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. So, I think it's... Cl- I, I honestly think Bong could win this thing. I, I'm not surprised. Bong's made all of his movies in this century. That's for one. And, and two, they're... I mean... From the ones I've seen so far, perfect. And like I've liked, I really, really liked all of them. You know, because again, he's a genius. I, I, I still need to see Mother. I still haven't seen Mother yet, but I it's on Hulu. Yeah. It's really good. Trust it. It's a really, really, really good movie. Before we talk about his next round matchup, uh, I will have watched Mother. Um, but Oak just no piercer parasite. Um, I that that top three is is nasty as far as like going up against top threes that everybody else are going to talk about. So yeah, this is over. I, I, Miracle. I love, I really, really enjoy Miracle. Uh, and uh, this obviously every sports movie has to have a big speech scene and they knock it out of the park. Um, but no, it's over. Bong, bong sweeps. Yeah. I, I think I'll check out the host or uh, barking dogs never bite before that matchup comes along. Um, I it's mean, gonna be Wes Anderson versus Bong Joon Ho for the next round. That's an interesting little matchup. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, like Parasite is arguably the most perfect movie you'd say of the last decade. There's no. That's oh, a, I don't that's know a about that. Movie. 
I don't know like, about what that. Is there, what is like an actual flaw to it? I'm not saying it's arguably the best. Is it argued, I'm just saying it's probably the most, the most flawless. There are a couple, there's a couple extra scenes in there that I didn't think were necessary. It was not a perfect movie. It was great. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to go ahead and say it was a perfect movie because it, it just wasn't. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. And, 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 that, and that's probably his best movie. And then I, I like Snowpiercer a ton. I think it's probably biting a little more than it can chew thematically, but it's still really, really interesting. And then mm-hmm. Okja, I, I love Okja. Underrated, I love Okja. Really underrated movie. Um, that's a, of course, that's a Netflix film starring a lot of really good people. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. All right. So Bong's moving on. We have, we've had a number of sweeps here to begin the Beach Bum region. Our next matchup is Steve McQueen against Christopher McQuarrie. Hmm. Steve McQueen is best known for his movie 12 Years a Slave, also the director of Widows. Chris McQuarrie, mostly known, I think, as a writer, I would say, but has directed Mission Impossible Fall and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation as well as Jack Reacher. I don't think this is particularly close. I think, I think if we were talking writers, then maybe we have a conversation. But I think Steve McQueen takes this pretty easily. They both have a similar amount of movies. McQueen has a couple more. And McQueen's were just plain better. Um. I mean, 12 Years a Slave is one of the most important movies of the last of the previous decade. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just wish Steve McQueen would make more movies in general. He, he has a way of, of creating this, vis, this such a visceral and impactful style of filmmaking that he, he just kind of gets the best out of his, his actors from a performative level. And it's, it's just really, really... It's just really, really uh, moving. So, and I, mean, I love McQuarrie. He, he's he, he's kind of found his niche as as Tom Cruise's like personal writer <laughs> in recent years. He's done a lot of his movies as a writer, and and of course he's directed the last few Mission Impossible movies, and, and that and he's he has an Oscar. Um, but I, I think McQueen. I, I I mean McQueen's a special, a really special director. I think. I don't really have much else to add there. It, you know, there's just a difference in the movies because McQuarrie hasn't directed a ton, and the things he has directed have been good action movies. And in the case of Fallout, a great action movie. But um, Twelve Years a Slave is, is too important, and McQueen did such a great job with that. Um, and then he went into something a little different with Widows, and Widows also has a ton of characters, but they all get their time to shine. And the performances are all great, and uh, how they're handled is all great. So that's a, that's a really underrated movie um, that hasn't been talked about a ton since it didn't really get any Oscar nominations or anything along that. But I think this is pretty open and shut too. I think this is another blowout. Hmm. Yeah, we've had a lot of blowouts so far. Yeah, this round yeah, has not had re- particularly close matchups. <laughs> no. All right, we've got three more to get through here in this region. Perhaps we will see one that is not quite as much of a blowout, but who knows. Our next matchup is Steven Spielberg against John Lee Hancock. And for those of you at home who are wondering, okay, 
remind me again which Spielberg movies were the 21st century versus which were the 20th century. Here we go. AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, King, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Adventures of Tintin, Warhorse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, and Ready Player One are all 21st century Spielberg movies. So that means no Saving Private Ryan, no Schindler's List, no Jurassic Park, and no good Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> And then for John Lee Hancock, all of his movies, or at least all the notable ones, have been in the 21st century. Actually, all of his movies. The Rookie, The Blind Side, Saving Mr. Banks, The Founder, and most recently, The Highwaymen. Yeah. Um, again, so I, this is closer than this is closer than we think, I think. I agree. Because how many of these Spielberg movies, would you consider really good Spielberg? Like Lincoln and Dude. Catch Me If You Can? That's it. And, and then, then I think people like Minority Report a lot. but I, I have it I close know. to that, but not quite on that same tier. Like, if you were asking me, like, which of these movies are better than John Lee Hancock's best movie, which, as we talked about earlier, is probably The Blind Side, then I'd say just those two in Lincoln and... Catch me if you can. Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, I mean, Catch Me If You Can is a really, really good movie. Other than the fact that Tom, Tom Hanks' character is just sort of like um, boring and irrelevant. But other, but like other than that, like the Leo character is fascinating. I love the Christopher Walken performance. Um, I mean, it's a really fun and interesting story. Uh, really well paced, quick, interesting. I, I don't know. I, I really like Catch Me If You Can. I think it's it's one of his best. Uh, Spielberg's best, and I mean Lincoln is. I mean, th- that's really just like Spielberg letting Daniel Day Lewis do Daniel Day Lewis stuff, and it, it and it's it, like really it's pretty straight to the vest for the most part of at least as Spielberg is concerned, um, and it's just beautifully directed and beautifully shot, and uh, I mean. Yeah, it's I'm 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 a big Lincoln fan personally. So I guess that's where this sort of lies because um, Spielberg has more movies in a higher peak, but also like who would you say has more like good movies between the two of them? Because John Lee Hancock does. I mean, the highest high is Blind Side, but the founders pretty good saving mr banks is pretty good um the rookie's pretty good so, i don't know if it's so much how ma- as a matter of how many but what percentage if that makes right. sense. obviously spielberg probably is going to have more good movies because he's made more movies yeah but i think john lee hancock's only had one bad movie whereas spielberg has had the post the bfg these are two not good movies Ready Player One, you better add that movie to uh, that list. I, I, I'll let you do that, Julia. Ready Player One is a quality film. It, I, I, it is a solid movie. I've thought about it quite a bit when I've been rating my movies on Letterboxd, and I decided to give it three stars because I really enjoyed myself for the most part. 
Letterbox not a sponsor movies, yet. Movies like no, not yet. Ready Player One bother me because when they come from a source material that's actually good, and then the movie that they make is close to garbage, it bothers me. I read that book, and I when I was when I was reading that book, I hadn't picked up an amazing book in such a long time, and the way that the book is written is so imaginative, and there's so much to deal with, and Spielberg just kind of like chopped so much of that out added scenes that weren't even in the book at all just to make it more relevant um, well and adapt adapting a book is hard and you can't you put said. everything not everything adapts well okay but you even said that this, even the stuff he decided to include straight from the book had no context behind it so the audience was under was didn't know what was going on unless they had read the book that's not good there's a couple me. moments like that sure yeah, and to add scenes that just didn't take place in the source material has always bothered me. And I don't know, it, that movie is just not good. And it bothers me when people think it is because they should really read the book and just see how much worse Spielberg created this. Well, you, you know can have a movie and a great book and have them be separate. I think so. that's what a good book movie adaptation is, that it's like different from the book. I that's think not that's the point. Like the strength. No, I, that is the point, is that it's different and interesting. It, again, it's a movie. I mean, we've had this argument many times, but I, I, I just, I, I don't like the ending of Ready Player One. It definitely has its flaws, but I mean, this is a be- just a beautifully directed film. The CGI is incredible. It, it is, I actually do think it's really imaginative in the way it opens up um, all these pop culture references. And I mean, the sharing from the audience. I, I don't, I, I don't know, and I love the the whole shining act part in, in the second Not act. In the book. It's just so amazing. It's just like really, like really opened up your mind as a as a movie nerd. And I, I don't know, like no one else could have made that movie as as well as it is. It, like it, you know, Spielberg's the only person who could have made that movie. Um, shining, because, like, as you said, it's really hard to adapt. So the shining portion in the movie bothers me a lot because it is not. One, it's not in the book, and two, the book is like a video game movie, and The Shining is not from the video game. That's like... I don't think we're ever going to agree on Freddy Player One. <laughs> I say we, I say we chalk it up as, you know, a fine Spielberg movie, whatever. There's other movies we can talk about in order to figure this out. I mean, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, for not isn't that good. It's just not. It's not a good Spielberg movie. And then. No. You know what movie compares the most, I think, to The Highwaymen from Spielberg? If we're talking about John Lee Hancock's worst movie, in our opinion, The Highwaymen, I think Bridge of Spies is pretty comparable. They're both historical dramas that are boring. Bridge of Spies is better than that. Also, John Lee Hancock... Not that much better. It's, 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 I think it's actually, it's probably, it's a lot better. Like, the the Highwaymen is, to me, The Highwaymen's a really tough beat. Like also, be stale. As stale as like a bad bagel. And Mark Rylance mm-hmm. adds enough color to Bridge of Spies that it's good enough. You no, know? Rylance is good. That's true. Also, Johnny Hancock has a movie called The Alamo from 2004. Um, that's pretty small, but I mean, it has less than a 30% of Rotten Tomatoes. I don't really know anything about it. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Highwaymen is the worst thing that we've seen out of John Lee Hancock, but um, there are not a lot of nice things to say here as when I'm looking at these like reviews and stuff like that for the Alamo. 
the one thing I could say about the Alamo is that's an early career movie. You know, not every early career movie is going to be very good. Oftentimes, some directors' first movies, and we don't get that with Spielberg in the 21st century because he is decades into his career already. I know, so but it's, it's kind of it's tough to judge resume. Um, I know, I know, it's an early career movie, but it's also like we talk about like the Highwaymen being his worst movie. Well, I mean, it might not be. We just haven't seen the Alamo. Um, and, it, and it's still on there. Obviously, that's just an advantage from Spielberg for working much longer than John Lee Hancock has, but it's still on his resume. I don't know, Ethan. I think Bridges Spies in the Post is much better than The Highwaymen. Oh, Highwaymen. no. The, the, po- the, post and the, hi- the Post is worse. That movie stinks. I, I disagree. The Post is an the post you take Tom, Tom Hanks is the only thing that barely saves that movie from being just terrible. I, I disagree with that. I don't think there's a lot of it that's terrible, but I also don't think a lot of it is just good either. So I, it's just sort of stale and sort of there. And I kind of wish I took more time with that movie to add some more color to it. Uh, the highway meant for me is just a lot of boring product placement. And that's about much as much as I can remember from that movie. There are yeah, like two good scenes in the highway men. There are about two good scenes in the post. So, Hey, but the Highwaymen, nothing happens in the Highwaymen. Nothing. And barely anything happens in the post. God, I, if it I hadn't just, happened uh, in historical events, nothing would have. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm a journalist, but the journal, some of the journalism stuff is interesting and the ethics they go through. And, like, it's fine. Again, I wouldn't recommend it, but it, I, right. I, I, would, I, would disrec- I would, like, actively disrecommend the Highwaymen, though. I, I just... It felt like that movie was made in 1950, like a bad 1950s movie, but it was made in 20, 2018. So it's just not what you want. Really, really not what you want. I think steering this back to the competition, um, I think it goes as simple as the two best movies come from Spielberg in this. And the shooting percentage might be a little bit better for John Lee Hancock, but I don't think it's significantly different. So I think that you go with the peak on this. Hmm. I think I would agree with Alex, but I think it's actually fairly close. I think this is very close because John Lee Hancock is in his first decade of making movies. We should ex- we shouldn't expect Steven Spielberg to be who's in his what fourth decade of making movies to be close to John Lee Hancock is. It, it, he shouldn't be this close. The fact that it's even this close on just a few movies from Hancock. I think says something. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the peak is too much. And yeah, I suppose Spielberg because, you know, he's Steven Spielberg. Well, well, with Spielberg, we're like 27 years past his apex, which was in like 1993 when Jurassic Park and Schindler's List come out in the same year. Um, it's never going to get better than that. He's only going to go downhill from there. Uh, and, you know, when, when directors get older and older, it's their, their product usually worsens. So it's just... How it's just the arc of how their how those careers go usually, um, and I, I, and with Hancock he has he has these more more fresh ideas and he's also he's also more of a writer than he is a, as a director which is something to note probably as well but uh, yeah I mean in this situation I'm taking Spielberg but I think it's close like a four two series something like that yeah I think it's closer like yeah. Yeah. Regardless, I think that Spielberg wins this. 
So Steven Spielberg moves on in a close matchup. I think John, I think John Lee Hancock could have beaten a couple people, but Spielberg's a tough beat. Next matchup is Adam McKay against John Favreau. This is a really interesting one. I, I think it, on the surface it looks like there's a clear winner here, but I think it's going to be interesting to talk about. Adam McKay has had a diverse, let's put it that way, 21st century thus far. I mean, he started off with, you know, his first move was the step was Step Brothers. He has Anchorman in there as well, and then does some more of that comedy stuff, Anchorman 2, and then finishes it up with The Big Short and Vice, which are still have humor in them, no doubt, but are definitely more serious movies focused on serious topics and very unique to him and kind of what he's become known for. And then John Favreau just, you know, does everything because he's John Favreau. <laughs> he, he acts, he produces, he directs, he runs TV shows. That's just his thing. But he also started his decade with, or his century with Will Ferrell, with Elf. Can't wait to dig into that movie. Love Elf. It's Directed both the first two Iron Man movies. Mm-hmm. Chef, The Jungle Book most recently, and The Lion King. And not, let's not forget his apex, Cowboys and Aliens. I think Cowboys he wins based on Cowboys and Aliens. Film. I think that's it. It's over. I mean, the big short's good, but... Does he have uh, who? Wait, who was it? Was Daniel Craig the alien? Let me tell you who's in Aliens. Who? Let me tell you who's in Cowboys and Aliens. Daniel Craig, Olivia Wilde, Harrison Ford, Sam Rockwell, Walton Goggins, and Paul Dano, all in the same movie, directed by John Favreau. This is in, this movie is incredible. Was 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 Daniel Craig the alien? Uh, I forget. It's been a minute since I've seen Cowboys and Aliens. I forget. I don't remember. I've seen this movie. I saw it like twice when I was like nine. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, shout out to Cowboys and Aliens. Quality film. (laughs) This is so weird because both these directors have such sort of diverse, like filmographies essentially like that where like pure comedy to like political satire kind of sat kind of satire yeah, with satire in it. um and you have john favreau as like big a- action movies and iron man you have chef which is very different um chef tackles, is amazing chef is tackles, a great movie that's a great movie <laughs> he tackles he essentially makes a jungle out of and it looks fantastic in jungle book and lion you King, know what he does that's even more impressive than that he made me actually like a disney live action reboot jungle book is awesome like it's a really good reboot in yeah the gallery was on Disney Plus. It's about the making of the Mandalorian. John Favreau has like a five minute discussion on how they in- sort of invented the technology that helped create the Jungle Book, and then how four years later, three and a half years later, they were able to use it, but a much juiced up version on the Lion King to where they were using little VR technology, and it was just really cool to see, you know, how they were working with the lights and the sound and. Alex is right and just you know the one room that they had how they created a jungle it was just amazing to watch it watch him talk through it and just to kind of see the pure genius out of it you know they were never on site at all and they really made you think they were here's the zag 
for John Favreau, why he could easily lose this as well. He's, he, again, like he, like everyone has said so far, he's had a very interesting career. For one, Iron Man 2 is awful. Just a darn shame. Really, really yeah. bad movie. Um, the Lion King remake, I mean, it's fine. The CGI is great. That's all can I can we, say about can it. Can we blame him as the director for that movie? Because if that movie's no. getting made anyway, the fact that the movie was made is the problem there, not necessarily the direction. I just want to throw that out there. I guess uh, that's fair and all, but like, I don't think he adds anything to the to the story that would be prov- that would that I would say is like, oh, the, that's cool. The only thing that the adds look, to that movie adds a lot to the look, which is kind of the main draw. Right. Yeah, but like, if you're gonna remake the movie, add. Something. You know, right? I at least Aladdin was like, we're gonna fill out the female character a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that to an extent. I think really what happens with the Lion King is the technical genius. And then obviously, you know, it's visual effects. For- it's bad moves. It's just like <laughs> it, it's, it's a really a fun it, like kids Christmas movie that has hey good kids. messages. Hey, hey, hold on, pretty- hold on. Time out, time out, time out. My internet crashed, so I don't think half of that got recorded. It says on my end, it's still recording. It still says recording. No, but you guys were like, your audio was weird. It, it just started. You probably have to go back to your zag on John Favreau, Koki. Okay. So not too much. Okay. Well, uh, here's my zag on John Favreau. He's had, again, he's had a very interesting career, but... but there's been almost as much bad as there's been good, at least from, at least from my perspective, if we're just talking about him as a director, when it comes to his ability of, of like producing stuff, making like visual entertainment, he's great in general. But I mean, Iron Man two failure, let's face it. Um, I don't think it's gonna be a lot of arguing over that. The Lion King, which is kind of a shrug. Is right. that his fault, though? Because no. the fact that this movie was made in the first place is the problem. And, yeah, I, I don't know if that's his fault as a director. He did a good job with the visuals. He tried. But right. this movie should never have been made. I well, think the only thing that's going to come out of The Lion King is how they do The Jungle Book 2, which he's going to direct. Because the transformation of technology from 2016 until when they start working on, on Jungle Book 2 is will, you know, transform drastically. So I think The Lion King will probably have been a great stepping stone for him to do that, the next movie. But that's probably all Lion King did for his career. I I just think that he needed to add something story-wise to that story that would have made it kind of his own in a way. Um, He he didn't write the movie, though. part of your responsibility as the director to, like, to direct something that, that will grab audiences and he doesn't do anything to the story that they didn't they weren't gonna do that because lion king is the best of the disney renaissance period the most popular that came out so why were they gonna change a story that they knew was gonna rake in the money anyway and you don't have to like change the whole thing i'm just saying like maybe 
they weren't going to touch that movie with like a knife of poles. I, again, I just don't understand why you make it then. And I'm not totally well, that's not his fault. on him, but it's not a success. It's not I his fault. I just don't think though. you can call it his fault for it being bad. He didn't write it. He I'm didn't saying- decide it should get made. And he had, you know, a ton of studio influence telling him exactly what to do. They just wanted to stamp. He just has his name stamped on it, which is unfortunate. But I don't know if the problems with that movie are his fault. No, I wouldn't say it's great that he did it, but it's not a bad thing. I, 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 just, I, I just can't see a reason why he wouldn't add anything of extra substance to it. And he just sort of kind of let the animators do what they want in terms of the visual stuff. And that was basically it. But he did, uh, a lot lot of, the, he did a lot of the directing of all that CG animation. I mean, if you watch him use the technology, it's kind of amazing what he was able to do just with his eyes and, you know, taking off the, glo- the goggles and just, like, looking around. And uh, it was really interesting to watch that. But I think he did a lot more substance-wise on the technical side than you're giving him credit for. Um, and then there's Cowboys and Aliens, which is, I, I mean, we made fun of this, a bit, like, a little earlier, but, uh, it's, it's also really bad and really strange, and <laughs> I, I, again, um, yeah, I, I don't know what totally happened there. Um, and then there's the Elf conversation. Elf's great. I will elf not hear bad. the disrespect. <laughs> let me, let me, let me say something on Elf. Elf stinks. That's, it's not a good movie. Let's, let's, let's clear the air on that first. But, but... People like that movie. They're psychotic, but they like it. It's on them. But oh, it's, and it's become a... But. Well, okay. Fair enough. But they're... I don't understand. But it's a let, me, let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. I don't like Elf. I think it's a bad movie. And it probably is. But regardless, it is still has become a hugely popular Christmas movie and a Christmas staple. And to kind of go into that echelon of movies is impressive, whether it's a good movie or not. Yeah. I watch it like every other Christmas, and I know a lot of people who like pop it on. Um, I think it is like, as far as popularity is concerned, like movies, people, kids, adults, parent, families put on every year. It's probably like a top five Christmas movie at this point. I, I have family members who put it on after Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Man, That's I a get little that it's fun. a family movie and all. I don't want to ruin my pie funny. like that. <laughs> I think it's a good movie. I think it's a well-made kids movie, but whatever. But I still think it goes as a plus for him. For, and I like Ethan's reasoning because it's now, you know, a classic Christmas movie, whether you like it or not, that people are going to watch every year. And it's rare that you have a, an, a classic, iconic Christmas movie coming out, you know, in the century. You know, most of the, the ones you're watching came out with stock motion camera capture, you know? Those are the types of movies you think about, and the fact that he's edged himself into that category is awesome. I think it's a success, even if it's not a good movie. I want to get into Adam McKay a little bit more, too, because... A lot of, a lot of Will Ferrell on, uh, for both of these guys. Yeah. But obviously we know about Vice and The Big Short, how important those movies are, and in a yes. brilliant way, especially starting with The Big Short, the unique way that that was directed. I want to dig into some of these comedies down at the beginning of his career because those make up a majority of his century. And so what are our thoughts on, you know, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, Anchorman? Granted, they're not cinema, art, whatever. Are these good, great comedies? Wait, hold on. Adam McKay directed Land of the Lost? Oh. I did not know that. 
oh my god he wins are you kidding <laughs> i did not know he directed land of the lost um I, I think if we're gonna make the same argument that we did for elf then we have to make the same argument for stepbrothers talladega nights and all those short uh, anchorman all those comedies even if we don't think they're that good then I think I think that that's fair. I think Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers. I think the other guys is a little bit better than all of those, but like I think those three specifically are, and Anchorman too are all in one like big category of they know exactly what they're made for, they know exactly what they're doing, and they do it really well, even if the comedy is ridiculous at some points and it ends up being a lot of like screaming Will Ferrell. Um, Speaking of screaming before, let me bail Adam McKay out for a second. He did not direct Land of the Lost. He didn't. No, might have been a producer or something. Uh, I'm on this Rotten Tomatoes page and it says director, but maybe I'm wrong. Brad Silberling was the director of that movie. He might have been a producer or something. Did not make the list. Brad did not make this. Did not make the bracket. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Produced Land of the Lost. I don't know why it says director on here. Then never mind. Huh. But anyway. I'm yeah, giving so- it to McKay if we're doing the whole if the movie's successful, then it's a success. Then we're adding it as a success to his career. Um, Ms. McKay has like four of those movies at least even before you even get into how good they are. And then I think the big short's very good. Could have been great if I understood what was happening a little more. But uh yeah, and then I'm a fan of Vice for sure. We talked about that movie quite a bit. This yeah. is this is really tough because that's really I, close because Iron Man, Chef, and The Jungle Book are all quite. Good. We, I guess Iron Man and Chef are his two top like apexes. And you can't just and you can't take away the importance of Iron Man that started the MCU, which has become a huge force in movies, obviously now. And that movie had to be good. It had to be, and it was. It's the MCU, yeah. And if it starts MCU, off. Oh, sorry. If the MCU no. starts with Hulk, then where does it go? And you I mean, establish I... Robert Downey Jr.'s character as Iron Man, who becomes obviously very important. I think that movie does more than we give it credit for. Um, I mean that's fair, but one guy made Iron Man two, and the other guy didn't. That would be my argument. Just because you made a really bad movie doesn't mean you should lose, I don't think. I, 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 I just think it's, it, it would be the decider here for me because I think it's close. And I think McKay's made – McKay really hasn't struck out at all when it comes to his movies. I mean, it's really hard to go from just making straight comedies to becoming an Oscar-nominated director in your very next movie. Um, that's hard to do. And, yeah – I, I have a lot of respect for McKay and the, the stuff he's done, even though, you know, Favreau is a producer as a whole, though, in terms of producing his writing, his directing, and even his acting, Favreau is probably higher. But if we're just talking about being a director, I'm taking McKay personally. The lack of a really like terrible movie, even if you don't care for his comedies kind of does put Adam McKay up there for me. I still, John Favreau has released a movie in Chef with like a kind of, I don't know how small its budget was, but it felt like a small budget movie. But also with Iron Man, I don't know, those top two seem almost to me, at least in terms of quality and cultural relevance to be up there, even though I think I 
like The Big Short even more, I think, than You, Koki. I think that's a hugely important and brilliant movie. Yeah, and again, I love Chef with every fiber of my being. That's a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, Iron Man's an excellent, is awesome as well. So I'm not saying John Favreau's like a bad director or anything like that. It's just hard to argue with the totality of McKay's career. Um, The bouncing of of two of two different uh, genres, basically, even though he does add quite a bit of comedy into those political, in those political films. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm going, I, I'm still going to I'm still going to stick with McKay. I don't know. What, what, Alex, what do you think? <laughs> I'm leaning McKay because he doesn't have a misstep. And because the, the top two, I think is very comparable. Um, but, but I think McKay's top two is a little bit more significant. I, I don't know if significant is the right word because Iron Man's really significant. But uh, like Bison, uh, the big short, like tell a story that like is needed to be told in a lot of ways. And I get it's from a certain point of view, but it's also largely important that people understand certain things about those movies. Um, then again, like you know, as far as cultural relevance, like Elf is probably above like Talladega Nights and Step Brothers and all those, you know, types of movies um, just Brothers. based on like mutually think about. Huh? People love Step Brothers and Anchorman got a I like Step Brothers. They're, but but all those movies kind of link together in a way. And I think Elf kind of goes beyond because again, holiday, the holiday like spin does give it that advantage. <sighs> I'm really... This is really difficult for me because I also want to give a lot of credit to what John Favreau could do visually because the with the ideas he had for Jungle Book and Lion King, it's un- unbelievable how real looking those movies are despite really not going anywhere um, except for in the studio. <laughs> I hate this matchup. This is really close for me. This is really tight. I'm, I'm, I'll make. I'll let you be the tiebreaker because I'll make my call. And I, I can't believe you're going to be stunned by this. But the decision maker between Adam McKay and John Favreau for me is Elf. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I think it's so close. And then you think about Elf becoming the Christmas movies are just something. There's something different about those and just the cultural thing they have going on in this country. Eh. And to have one that transcends so many movies, even if it's a terrible movie, it stinks. I, I hate watching it. It's a good but movie, it doesn't but matter. Okay. That doesn't matter. It, it kind of does. It doesn't matter because at this point, my opinion doesn't matter because it's the opinion of the masses that matter with how popular it's become, how iconic it's become. And then I, because I think the other take away the other take away that or take away Anchorman for McKay, then I think I give it to McKay. But just the Elf just slightly pushes Favreau over the edge for me. I, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I vote for Favreau as well. I think what pushes it over the edge for me is how well he was able to direct within one room and using mostly technology to work with the actors. And then even in The Lion King, which is voice actors and how he was able to direct just using like VR technology. And he's largely responsible for where, you know, how realistic you can make CGI and how far it's advanced from The Jungle Book to The Lion King. I think it takes a special director to do something like that. So it's my hey, hey, he wins for me. I'll let you do in a second. I want to say one more thing about Favreau. Okay. You really made me think of this. 
we haven't seen the full impact of what Favreau has done from a technical standpoint yet, I don't think. That directing with VR, I think, could become not a norm necessarily, but something that we see much more widespread and utilized in different ways. So I think from a technical perspective, that could be revolutionary what he was able to do. It was That's really another... interesting because he was able to use what he learned from the Jungle Book to the Lion King to even the Mandalorian. And he was able to use and mix real sets with sort of like a green screen background, but to still learn how to make it realized. And so that you couldn't even tell that he was mending and molding all these different forms of media to make it feel realistic, like you were in like a Star Wars universe. And that that's, I think, the greatness of John Favreau is, you know, really taking what he's learned from the past and just kind of like seeing how it's been implemented already three years later. I think it's phenomenal. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think we're, I, I think we're easy to forget about not just Iron Man two, but Cowboys and Aliens. Like those movies are just kind of are, are kind of failures. And um, I, I don't think we should totally. I, I just don't get why Elf is like more valuable than Anchorman, Talladega Knights, or Step Brothers because they're all kind of in the same general thing with me. They're these Will Ferrell movies that people really love, and I mean we can discredit our opinions if we want. Uh, on those movies, but I, I, I mean, people love Anchorman and Step Brothers. I, I like love those movies probably just as much as Elf, really. Um, and I, I don't know why a Christmas movie would make that any different. I, it, I just, that's... I think it's the impact of it, not so much that that not that it, people like it more. I think it's because it is a Christmas movie and is able to crack into a kind of a select group of movies that are every year holiday favorites, which is a tough thing to get into I think is relevant but I agree Alex I almost want to vote for McKay so we can have a tiebreaker because I do think it's this close I love Vice so much um, but I love Ethan's point about how this could be technologically revolutionary what he's doing with what he did with Jungle Book and what he did with Lion King and I think that that speaks volumes. I'm going Fabro by the skin of his teeth. Uh, I, this is a hard disagree. <laughs> wow. I, I know. I, I understand the point, too. Like, the valley is, is much deeper with Fabro with Cowboys and Aliens and Iron Man 2. But, man, what, what he's able to bring to life out of scratch, essentially, and how people can... I. I'm just curious what Jungle Book 2 is going to look like. And I'm wondering if it's going to be like an Incredibles thing where people like look at the Incredibles in 2003 and are just like, whoa, it's unbelievable what they did with that. And then look at Incredibles 2 in 2019 or 2018. Was it 19? 18. 18. And we're just like, I didn't know they could make this look this much better. But if you look at side by side, it looks incredibly better. So I'm just curious what he continues to look like. Because I kind of think that's Jungle Book and Lion King because Jungle Book looks unbelievable. But then Lion King, the... It's not even the backgrounds, because the backgrounds are going be comparable, but the animals in Lion King also just go another level. So um, realistic. Yeah. So I think that means a lot, actually. So I'm going to go with Fabro. I, I just don't think that's... I think that's more of just, like, the great animators at Disney and less of John Favreau. He had a large... I know, but he but does also have to kind of steer the ship, in a sense. Like, John uh, Favreau's an actor's director... He is an actor himself. Um, Chef is really an actor's movie. 
he understands how to get the best out of his performances. And I, I just think when it comes to all the, like the really technical stuff, that's I, I give a lot more credit to the animators to Disney. I mean, I'm not going to argue how, how good that, uh, how good all those animations are. They're amazing. Trust me. Um, I, I, I don't know. If anything, I, I think I it speaks to Favreau most, that he can go do, be an actor's director and still direct this technical stuff with such acumen. And I think the voice acting in Lion King is really bad. And I, I don't know. There's, there's some misses here that I, I, I don't want the to. The problem, that, I don't think that's a Favreau problem. I think that's, you know, from the studio heads wanting it to be the exact same story. And when you're doing hyper-realistic animals, you're not going to be able to animate the more humanistic emotions that they got in the animated version of the film, which is why that doesn't really play well. Some of the voice acting's bad. It's just that the characters who are more realistic won't be showing those more humanized versions that they did back in 94. That's just not how that works. Yeah, but it's just like, Shuatel Edge of Four is really good in the movie, but then there's like Donald Glover, who's horrible. Um, And then Beyonce is like, really like Beyonce just can't act. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, some singers can act some, some, some she's, fun in, she's fun in the Austin powers movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess she's fun in that movie, but yeah, I don't know. I'll shut up because I, I'm, I'm really interested in our next matchup too. Yeah, th- this was by far the closest matchup, at least in my mind so far. What was the the last matchup? Let me let me double check. It was really really close. The Jordan Peele Ryan Coogler one I think was closer for me at least. But those are both. Yeah, I don't know. In my head, it was a bigger conflict. I did think about that one quite a bit. I think they're comparable for me in terms of just difficulty. Like, oh boy, these are like two very like you know neck and neck guys. All right. One more matchup here in the Beach Bum region of our bracket. This one is going to be interesting. Clint Eastwood and Noah Baumbach. <laughs> mm. You couldn't pick two different directors. No, you couldn't. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I don't know what else to say. This is, this is a fascinating matchup. I, I watched Million Dollar Baby recently. Uh, that that's a really just that, that movie's a real sucker punch. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to like spoil it at all. If, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's just a sucker punch. That's all I gotta say. Uh, but it was, if you're it's looking really to enjoy your time at the movies, don't watch that movie. Let's. I'll, <laughs> exactly. That's all I'll say. Uh, but it's a great movie though. It's a really really good movie. Um, I think the edge like the subplots aren't very effective, but it, but like. The core of this movie are the core of this movie is really really good. There, I had nothing to pick at there, um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I've been a fan of Clint Eastwood's work as a director this century. He's made some excellent films, but even though you don't think of him as much of a director as a Noah Baumbach, who we want to give a lot of credit because the Oscars haven't. Um, don't mean to go through Eastwood's movies, please. There's a lot the of director. them. Sure. Okay. American Sniper. I think this is really notable because American Sniper not only was nominated for Best Director, but made more money, made the most money out of any original uh, non-franchise film um, this, this decade, I believe. 
that was that movie was huge, huge hit. Uh, Gran Torino, which I think is probably, which is arguably his best movie from this century. As a director, he obviously also acts in it. Um, if that kid was just better, it'd be a better movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Million Dollar Baby, that we just we we just talked about Sully, which is really mediocre. Not a huge <laughs> fan of Sully. It exists. <laughs> it exists. Um, Mystic River, which I talked about on our last show. Remember that on our last in studio show? I said, yeah, I, do. I should say. Mystic River, really good movie. It's not on HBO Max. Um, the Mule, which is hilarious and strange. <laughs> That's just it's Clint a, flexing on everybody. Like, yeah, I can make movie this movie. Is, Clint Eastwood is a, is, is a botanist. He drives drugs across state lines, and he, he uh, has multiple sexual intercourses in that, within that film. Um, it's wild. Richard Jewell, which... To me, it's aging a lot better in my head. I, that movie's actually pretty good. A good um, movie. Despite the journalism aspect, which is... Which is... Really, it's just really bad. It, 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 um, but the rest of it's actually quite effective. Acting very well done. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen... I don't know if anyone else has seen Invictus, but I really like that movie as well. Uh, Morgan Freeman. I, Matt Damon. I didn't care for Invictus. I thought really? it was very meh. Solid. I, I liked it. I, I liked Invictus. I, Granted, I don't think I've seen Invictus in a decade. So yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Invictus too. But um, but again, he's also had some misses. Fifteen, seventeen, The Paris. I already Ugh. mentioned The Mule. Not a lot of people like J. Edgar. Uh, even though that's with Leo. So I mean, Clint Eastwood has an, has had an interesting career for sure. Hey, don't forget about Space Cowboys. And that's not the same thing as Cowboys versus Aliens, just for the record. <laughs> Space yeah, Cowboys sure. is an astronaut movie starring Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones. Who cares if it's good? It doesn't matter. It's a fine movie, but it has Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland being, ac- being astronauts. I, I that's wanna, cool. I definitely want to check it out. <laughs> I, I need to get on the, the Space Cowboys bandwagon. I also need to see Letters from Iwo Jima. Which I think is interesting. Um, I'm a huge Bombback guy, but I, I lean toward Clint Eastwood here, and I think the main reason why is how good Mystic River is, how emotional Million Dollar Baby is. I mean, Mystic River, Million Dollar Baby were nominated for best for best picture in back to back years in an era where you only had five best picture nomination picks, um, and then you add that along with American Sniper. And then Richard Jewell, Solid Louie, Letters from Iwo Jima has, is, is a movie that a lot of people like as well. Uh, I mean, he's had some misses for sure, but he's had a lot of hits. This, I was surprised looking back at his IMDb how many hits he's had as a director this century. Um, and I think that's really notable. Bombback is a weird case because, especially against Eastwood, because Eastwood has had these hits, but they necess- haven't necessarily always been like 100% critically acclaimed. That makes sense. They're, they've had their detractors. American Sniper has had its detractors. Million Dollar Baby and Grand, well, Grand Torino has because they don't like Eastwood's performance, but that's besides the directing. And Bombback really, while his movies haven't popped much until Francis Ha and Marriage Story, the other smaller movies he's made have been 
hugely critically acclaimed where there's not a lot of detractors on them, but they have not reached a large audience at all. Yeah. Um, Francis Ha is a wonderful movie. Uh, I really want ever, I, I would highly suggest everyone to try to go check that movie out. Um, it's him. It, it, he writes and direct, he wrote, co-wrote it and directed the film with Greta Gerwig, who of course he is now married to. Um, they made this movie before they got married. And really this movie is basically no Bob back falling in love with Greta Gerwig throughout the whole movie. That's the, if you keep that in mind, then you realize just how genuine and beautiful it is, how well written it is, how interesting the story is. Uh, and it kind of has, and it kind of adds the elements like Bombax sharp humor with Gerwig's ability to make a story flow. And they add those two elements so perfectly together as a script, which is why I think that this is, that's um, his best movie and arguably the best movie out of either of these two. And I, I know Ethan's a huge, huge marriage story fan. We, uh, I love that movie. It's pretty brilliant. That it's one of those movies that you know blew me away. And normally that's with spectacle or something other than that. But this movie obviously is very small in terms of spectacle, but still just the performances and the way the story was written, how personal you could feel it was to Bombach. He's the only person who could have written this movie. The only person who could have directed it. It was brilliant. But. I think my zag with with Bombac would be um, sometimes his movies feel either too critical. I don't say too critical, but they feel too much like a Woody Allen movie, and it with sharp and you know all the beats and you, it's there's just it's a little too familiar. And there's a couple scenes in Meyerowitz stories that are kind of like that, even though I really like that movie in general. Um, While we're young is is okay. It, it, I like. The, I like what it's doing in the beginning, but then it just it and it, but then Ben Stiller kind of takes over the narrative a little too much, and it it, it kind of becomes obvious and awkward and a little twisted. And the Squid and the Whale is a really interesting movie, um, 2005 film starring Jeff Daniels and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, that's a really that's a really like hard cutting, sharp, witty movie. Uh, I liked it a lot, but it, this is tough to say because obviously Eastwood makes movies every six months. It feels like, uh, so this is again, this is again one of those sort of comparisons where you have one director who's made a million films and then another director's made much fewer movies. Um, but I, 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 it's hard to argue against again the back-to-back Oscar-nominated films. Uh, million Dollar Baby won Best Picture, even. Uh, and then you add in the American Sniper aspect to it as well. I, I, I think um, Eastwood's had it, had a couple more misses, but it, there's so many hits there. And, and when he, it, I, I don't know that that that's just how I look at it. When you have that many movies, um, it's easy to have like you know, sort of like Spielberg, who we talked about earlier. You have like a ton of movies this century. And then, like, there's, like, two really good ones and a couple of other pretty good ones. And then there's a lot of, like, okay stuff. Um, it's really hard to keep a certain level when you put out that many movies. And I think that Eastwood has more really good movies than, like, Spielberg has during this century. Um, you talked about the back-to-back with Mystic River and Million Dollar Baby. I think a lot of people really like Gran Torino. Um, yeah, I do. And then... 
American Sniper. I mean, it has some detractors. The baby looked terrible, but um, it's still a really impactful and visceral movie. Um, I think that having a force, like a foursome like that, um, is really hard to beat. And although Bombac has a couple of really big hits, there's just not enough. And part of it is just the recognition that Bombeck has, has lacked over his entire career, really, until Marriage Story. Because um, Francis Hogg got some recognition, but Marriage Story is really the only, like, mainstream, I would say, movie that he's ever really put out there. Um, I don't know if that's totally his fault, because his style it's not of his making fault. It's is not just, his like, fault. making smaller stuff. And he makes movies with $10 million budgets, $5 million budgets, even. Uh and like I mean, Mer- Meyerowitz stories is the same as Mirror Story. That was a movie made by Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just starring Dustin Hoffman, Ben Stiller, and Adam Sandler, and yet people just didn't, just never really caught the conscience, despite all that. Right. Uh, so, I, I mean, it, it it's tough this to say. Hard. Uh, this hard. He's just hard to evaluate in this kind of a bracket where we have a lot of like larger than life figures and, and that is what Clint Eastwood is. And then you have this this guy who makes really all good movies. Um, but just to a smaller scale. It's just really hard to evaluate because it's just such a weird comparison between the two. Hmm. But I just think that like the back-to-back Oscar like nominated for best picture. And I, and I forgot about this. The Koki reminded me that there was, you can only have five movies nominated for best picture back then. Yeah. Um, so back to back years is kind of unbelievable. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. Yeah. And I like both those movies. I, I think Mystic River is probably a tad bit better, but uh, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you got lucky, you know, it's not a crash situation, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I, if we could count kicking and screaming, that's a 1995 film. Um, I think this would be, I, I think I maybe, I maybe actually picked bomb back here, but I, I, again, this is, I, we, we finish out this side of the bracket with two very, very close matchups. Um, but I don't know. I think Eastwood's accomplished too much, and he's made so many good movies from from the cent- like a surprising amount of good movies from the century. And I, this is just a tough beat for Bonnetback because I think if he goes up against Spielberg, I think he wins. Personally, um, yeah, I agree. With, yeah. That's cl- that's I, another close one. It's close, but it, I think that's closer. I I would agree with Koki. I think Bonnetback would come up top if he went against Spielberg. And in that fake scenario, I, I, I just think the I, I just think the way Marriage Story and Francis Ha like capture your heart is much more effective than any Spielberg movie this century, really. That's uh, a good, for great me, point. Maybe Catch Me If You Can, but you can make an argument there. But I, I yeah, I, I think Bombback's better at grabbing you as a writer and a director than I'd say. All but all but maybe like ten people on this whole bracket, five or ten people on this whole bracket. But I, I, I Eastwood's too much of a heavy here to to not move on, and that's that's in my view at least. Eastwood Favreau is going to be a matchup. 
Yeah. But I, I, I lean Eastwood slightly as well. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I do too. Yeah. Me as well. All right. So that's four votes for Eastwood. He's moving on. Clint, I, I thought Bombeck might get, might actually come out of that one and kind of pull the upset, but not the case. I mean, I did that too, is- but I looked into it and I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's fun to make fun of like Clint for like the mule and stuff like that. But yeah, <laughs> you also, I mean, you kind of forget just how prominent like his like five year run was. Um, but it was like Mystic River, Million Dollar Baby, Letters uh, to Iwo Jima, yeah, and then Grant Torino was like all in a like certain span. So I, I think if this was just the last decade. Bombback wins in a landslide, but Clinton had yeah. himself a nice 2000s. As a director, that's his apex for sure. Yeah. Like that 0304 range, like that might, yeah. And maybe as a, maybe as just being in films in general, you know, and this guy is one of the most celebrated people in Hollywood and one of the most controversial as well. Um, and it's kind of funny that we're talking about him because he just turned 90 years old. And Jeez. Richard Jewell came out last year. <laughs> it does stuff, yeah. And Richard Jewell's a good movie, too. So now, Imagine this. Imagine you're watching, back in the day, one of Clint's spaghetti westerns. You know, you're watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And someone's like, yeah, man, a few decades from now, he's going to direct an Oscar-winning movie. You know, he's going to be you know, one of the main directors in Hollywood. You're going to be like, you're, you'll, do some, you'll do some math. Oh, that's 2000. He's going to be like 80. <laughs> win an Oscar for directing after I just saw him, you know, do that. Okay. Like he looks old and million dollar baby. That movie came out in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. It's unbelievable. All right. Well, that is the beach bum section of the bracket in which is now the Harmony Corinne Memorial Tournament. <laughs> Because Quentin gave him the boot. But we'll be back next week with our, what did we call this, the Frankenweenie region of the bracket? Yes. Uh, Tim Burton side? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Mr. Wait. Burton will be making an appearance. I cannot wait to talk about Tim Burton. But before we leave you here this week, we want to we recast a movie. And something we're calling the Recastables. This is so such a ripoff, <laughs> which is a ripoff of the, of the rewatchables, but it were a ringer. That yes, but you know what? Hey, Bill Simmons, if you ever want to come on this show and talk about movies, you're more than welcome. All right, but we'll be just a moment. To, we're going to recast Ocean's Eleven with an, an all-time cast, any actor, any age, ever, putting them into Ocean's Eleven. That's coming up next year on Real Talk. Okay, pause real quick. My dad needs to talk to me about something. I'll be right back. All right. Figure out your casts, I guess. I like this. Uh, this is hard. I haven't seen I've this. I've got the Matt Damon rolled down, and I'm very excited about it. The rest, good luck. I, I've, I have ideas for a bunch of the, for a decent amount of these. Plus, how much of the cast are we doing? Um... So let's go with like five. We could do the whole 11 in Garcia. <laughs> we, really, we really wanted to get into it, but that would take that, a while. That's, that's, that's too much. That's a that's bit a too lot. much. Let's focus on like the heavy hitters, like Clooney, Damon. Oh, I got uh, I mean, Clooney's, uh, Clooney, you could do like four different people. 
I got one in very in particular that you could definitely work. There's not a lot of people today that I think could work in that role, but it's more of like some guys in like the sixties and whatnot that you could throw in there. So rather than recast all of Ocean's Eleven, all 11, because that would take forever, we have selected six, count them, six different roles from the movie in order to recast. And that is the roles of George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Andy Garcia, and Carl Reiner. Let's start with the star of the movie, George Clooney. I will warn, there may be some spoilers ahead if we have to get into something. I will try and avoid it, but it could happen. So just be wary if you haven't seen Ocean's Eleven. This probably won't be that interesting anyway. So (laughs) go watch the movie and then listen to this segment. But George Clooney, kind of the the leader of the gang, kind of got out of it, but he's back in. Kind of, you know, the suave. It's George Clooney basically being George Clooney, but also he's the leader of a criminal gang and wants to get Julia Roberts back. (laughs) Yes, basically. Um... My idea for this kind of popped up really quickly as into my head as someone who's watched some Hitchcock during this quarantine. That's Cary Grant. And Cary Grant's perfect for this role. Koki, guess who else, who's on my list for this role? Oh. Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, him and the other name I'd throw out there is Paul Newman. Koki, I'm not making this up. I will share my screen with you right now. My list says Paul Newman or Cary Grant for the Clooney role. <laughs> uh, those two popped up in my head immediately because not only are they handsome. You guys come up with the same people for all this stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, my Damon pick's really weird and outside the box. But, um, yeah, I, I, you need someone who's a leading role guy but can also play well with others. You need someone who is really handsome and, and really someone you want to like but can also play as a bad person. And there's no two better people to do that than Paul Newman and Cary Grant. It's pretty simple. It's simple. It's as simple as that. And you can't really do anyone from today because no one's as big enough of a movie star today to really pull off a role like that, you know? So at that age especially. Um, couldn't have so, said yeah. it better myself. Perfect. I, Paul Newman or Cary Grant? <laughs> I, I, I don't really have anyone else who could pull it off. No, I no, because like if you you can't pick a De Niro or a Pacino because those two guys are just I think there's you kind of have to be like in on the joke and sort of have an aura to you and those two guys don't really have that. They're just like amazing, amazing actors, you know? And you can't have like a Robert Redford who's always like, he can't really play, and I know he does in the Winter Soldier and stuff, but he doesn't, he can't play like the likable bad guy enough, I don't think. Well, we're going to get, let's talk about Pitt then, because I, I think Redford is perfect for the Pitt role. I don't disagree. Um, the two I had on my list were Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he could fit into that role. And like like now, Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe a little bit younger, but not, but like, and or really? a little bit young, a younger Sam Jackson, I think, could also work in that really? role. Really, changes changes the movie a little bit to have Sam Jackson. I think Pitt's character has a little more of a comedic flair if it's Jackson, but I think he could work well in that role. I don't know. I don't think Sam Jackson's smooth enough for this movie. 
I think he would be bringing a whole different vibe. He I, because when I see Sam Jackson, I think of the dude who's who who's who's screaming Bible verses in Pulp Fiction. And I just what? don't know how much that works. For that role, I'm gonna go with I like I like the smoothness kind of element to it. So I'd go with Sam Jackson's co-star in Django, Jamie Foxx, as opposed to Samuel Ooh. Jackson. No, I like that. You can't go wrong with Jamie Foxx because it's more of a. There's more of a cool, like, and more of like a conflict. Sam Jackson, I'm, I have no doubt can do that because I have no doubt Sam Jackson can do anything. But there is more of a loudness to Sam Jackson's performances usually. Um, Jamie Foxx has done a lot of different things, but I think that you see those elements that can definitely transfer over um, as kind of being the right hand man to all this too. So I would have like never that. thought about Sam Jack uh, about Jamie Fox actually, um, but I. I... There's a part of me that thinks both those actors. I think Sam Jackson would just be too loud for the movie. Um, I kind of said that earlier, but like Fox is interesting. But I would almost want him in the Clooney role because he's such a big personality as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the the interesting thing, the interest, the, what makes this so difficult is you got to find the right actors who can who can share the ball. Basically, it's like building a basketball team. You know, you can't have too many guys who need the ball all all the time, you know? The the reason I picked Sam Jackson, and you guys are right, he is too loud now that I think about it. He would just kind of, you know, take up the screen. But the reason I picked him is more how that Pitt character has to interact and kind of talk down and kind of bring back in the George Clooney character. And I think Jackson could do well with that. But you're right, he's a little too loud. I, I I love the Jamie Foxx pick, though. What about Ryan Gosling for that role? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. I played around with this a little bit. I I don't know if he could handle the comedy bit to go along with the smooth bit. Um, the cool he'd handle the cool aspect. I think. Oh, he's a cool dude. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a decent. I, I mean, you know, I I wouldn't be totally against it. Um, you, Ethan mentioned Leo earlier. I think Leo is perfect for the more better for the Clooney role than the Pitt role. I had I had Leo for the Clooney role actually. Yeah, like a current, like a current like Leo right now. Yeah. yeah, like if they were like, remaking this movie today, Leo like is my pick for the Clooney role, and I don't know who else takes it. Immediately after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leo um, certainly you could put a younger Leo, I think, in a couple spots, and he'd be unbelievable in this. Um, wasn't Leo originally going to be in the Damon role, and then he dropped out? Or am I misremembering um, that? We'll get to the Damon role. But, but am I remembering that correctly, that Leo was originally slated for the Damon role? I don't think Leo was supposed to be in this movie. Um, I'll double-check on that. I saw. Maybe you can double-check. Wahlberg was supposed to be in this movie. He was casted. Oh, maybe it was Wahlberg, not Leo. Yeah. I think it was Wahlberg. And... Yeah, so... Yeah, for that pit role, I have I have Robert Redford, and the other name I want to put up is Steve McQueen. I think Steve McQueen's amazing in the in the Brad Pitt role. <laughs> that is, if you want cool, you got cool right there. He kind of gets in trouble. He's really good at playing. I think he'd be perfect as a secondhand guy to a Cary Grant, who's more of the a little more of the alpha, and then they can kind of share that role together. Because Brad Pitt, what makes Brad Pitt so perfect for this movie is the fact that he is obviously a giant movie star, but he's also all of his best roles are when he's the second, almost all of his best roles are when he's really the second banana of the movie. 
I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Fight Club, Seven, Ocean's Eleven. You, it's the consistent through point throughout his career. And you kind of need someone who can bring that energy. And I think Redford does because, I mean, I mean all the president's men, uh, the sting when he's sharing it with Newman, the screen with Newman, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, and then with McQueen, I mean, McQueen really had to work in, a, in a, like a big group with The Great Escape. And I, I think you can bring that great escape energy into that role. It'd be really interesting to watch. McQueen's just so cool. Like his, just like his whole attitude and presence on screen kind of fits in that role. I, yeah. I really like that pick. And I'm not going to argue against Paul Newman and Robert Redford being in, co-starring in another movie together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be perfect. I mean, like those two guys are perfect together and could make, could definitely make it work with, uh, even with a bunch of other personalities around them, I think. So. What, should we dive in the Damon next? I guess. I guess that makes. Um, the Damon, the whole Damon part in this movie is kind of a problem with me because I feel like he's too big of an actor and he doesn't totally know where to fit within the chemistry of the other characters. That's just just my reaction to watching the movie. Um, I think he's better in Twelve, and they kind of use it more. That role is a little more of a joke, um, and it works. Then it works, um, but. I kind of wish that this was, again, I mentioned this earlier. I think this should have happened. Uh, I would have Mark Wahlberg here. I think it would just be really funny and it would add to the comedy aspect to it. Um, what makes the Mark Wahlberg role work in The Departed so well is the fact that he thinks he's Matt Damon or, or Leonardo DiCaprio, but he isn't. So that's why he's yelling and screaming the entire time, even though he doesn't. So any chance he gets to jump into the movie, he really, really jumps in with two feet. And I think that's what that Damon role really needed in Ocean's Eleven. And I would have loved to see that in Ocean. I would have loved to actually have seen that. So that's why I'm going with Wahlberg, even though it's a lot different than what Damon actually does in the movie. Interesting. My pick for the Damon role kind of in that same kind of can pull off the comedic role and kind of be a little goofy. I think Jimmy Stewart, a young Jimmy Stewart would work very well in that. Wow. That's a fascinating, what a poll. Interesting. Huh. I'll spare you my Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> Please. Please, please spare us. No, please. Please share with the audience. <laughs> We want them to continue listening, so I'll look at them. <laughs> oh, jeez. But I just think I, Jimmy could really pull that off. I wrote down James Stewart. <laughs> I, I, I had it, too. I, I picked one really new guy, and I picked one really older um, option, so James Stewart was my older option. What's your newer option? Just curiously. I thought of Ansel, Ansel Elgort. Um, I didn't know if it was a perfect fit. Um, he wouldn't demand as much attention as Matt Damon, I don't think. Um, but I think as like a young prodigy, sort of, or protege, I guess is a better word, sort of role. I don't know. I, I haven't seen much of him since uh, in, a, in a couple of years. And I would love to see more before like really putting him into this. But um, I think as someone who's kind of like breaking in, um, it could be kind of like he's breaking in as a character, but he's also breaking in with all these like heavy hitting actors and stuff like that. 
So I feel like it can be an interesting kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word, comparison maybe. Uh, that's an interesting, no, that's an interesting point. Um, it's a very different take than Jimmy Stewart, but um, yeah. <laughs> this is very different, but that, that was just something that popped in my head for some reason. I, I kind of feel like it would work. Huh. I, I don't hate that that pick. That could could work, but it it, it is different than what we got, and then even Jimmy Stewart. Mm. Huh. You need, I, I like the I, I like the reminder you gave us that that this actor needs to be kind of green when they're when they're taking the role. Um, can I pick Tom Holland in like four years? Wait, I was just thinking that, Koki. I was gonna say that. Stop. <laughs> Tom Holland in like four years maybe could maybe work in this role. I'm not 100% sure, but maybe he still would look too young by then. But four years, Tom Holland in 2024. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. On that. I can't believe that we were both thinking that too. I was just about to post Tom Holland as a joke and then he said it for real. <laughs> no, I, I, for real, honestly, it, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting little proposition. Um, the, I and guess my I, only thing with Al Gore is, is he good enough of an actor to, like, pull off mm. that sort of subtlety? That's why I kind of said I'd like to see a little bit more first. But, yeah, yeah I thought it was really great and, and be, uh, really good, I'd say, in Baby Driver. Um, but, again, I haven't seen a ton since. What's the, is that the last thing he's been in? It can't be right. Uh, he did The Goldfinch. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot oh. about The Goldfinch. <laughs> Never saw the goldfinch, so I just a big reason. tough beat in general. So uh, this maybe could have been Ben Affleck if he wasn't as big of a star at the time. Um, Ooh, I don't know about that one. I think he was too big of a star. I, he was. I mean, this guy he'd already starred in Armageddon and Shakespeare in Love at that point. But but let's say let's say it's let's say it's early, even earlier Ben Affleck because we can do that. Even then, I think he's That's just true. too much of a of a almost he, almost too heavy. I don't really know how to describe it. I don't know if he. Can play, quite get the comedy across in the same way. Ben Affleck's hilarious in Google Hunting. He's a funny guy. I but it's in a, it's in a different way though. Is my my thing. He, he, it's a different kind of humor. I think. I think. I, I don't know. I I feel like Soderbergh could fit him in a young Ben Affleck into that role. Um, I I think that is a decent option. So you know, interesting. Interesting, though. What's the next role? The next role is the Julia Roberts role. Ooh. This is a lot more difficult. Ethan, do you have an idea for this? I have two. Oh, okay. Let me hear this. Uh, and they're both, I, I tried to think of someone newer, and maybe I – and I guess I could. I suppose Emma Stone, I would throw out there, because she's Emma Stone, she could probably pull it off. But as far as my big picks, not off the top of my head, that I've been more thinking about is Ingrid Bergman – and Lauren Bacall. I think you need to have a strong leading lady in that role in order to pull it up. And it can't be like a goody two-shows kind of role. You have to have someone who can kind of play both sides and lay in that gray area. And I think both of those actresses can do that very well. Um, again, I love Emma Stone. I, I, it's a different movie if Emma Stone's in it. Because like she brings like so. energy to her movies, and you know, it can also pull off like serious stuff. But I, I could never see her. I, I, I I'm, well, never is might be a little too strong of a word, but I, I just don't think it works if she's in this movie. But I, I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, 
you need again you need that star power presence and there's really and this is going to kind of a theme with this with this recasting is there's no one who has today really who has that kind of star presence to take that role i guess maybe margot robbie now that i think of it could maybe pull it off that's a again that's a big maybe um, she's the star part, but could she pull off? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a maybe. You're totally right. I mean, after once upon a time in Hollywood, I'm open to the idea. You know, she's very different than than Julia Roberts, though. But I guess it'd be okay if she was different. But I don't know. My, my initial thought was Sandra Bullock. Um, yeah, just like, as far as similarities, like, but like, I could see them kind of interchanging a few roles. Yeah. So just a slightly worse, so you might say, I mean, like a worse Julia Roberts then? <laughs> that's, that's what you do with the Sandra Bullock thing, which is fine. Oh. No, if we have to recast, so if we have to recast, that's a decent idea. Um, an idea I'd say Sandra Bullock just, from like five years ago, though. If we want yeah. to diversify, I have an idea if we want to diversify. Okay. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it would be, it would be a little different. I think she'd bring more of a kind of like kick-ass energy to that role. Nephew attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I do too. I love it. That's like a really great dynamic to bounce off of. I'd say in a movie like this, you know, Paul Newman and Jennifer Lopez in a movie together. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we're gonna we may have to edit the. (laughs) If if Leo was in that role, you could pull. You could like. Okay, this is across all time frames. I think Newman could pull it off. But that's interesting. Like I like that one. That's outside older than Hud. Like Newman and like Cool Hand Luke. Which like which Newman are we talking about here? Early forties. Newman, even like a little little younger than uh, he was in what's that movie called, the Sally Field movie that uh, Absence oh, of Malice. Oh, that no, no. Which he tries his hardest to bail out, but it's a terrible movie. Yeah. So Butch Cast, I, I, when I'm thinking about what role Newman would be, it was if for Clooney for the Clooney role would be Butch Cassidy Newman. I, think. I go a little older. Because like him and Redford at those ages are I think are perfect for the those two roles. Um, if you just literally just take those, if we take a time machine, take those two from that year and just put them into that movie in two thousand one, it, it would it would just work almost seamlessly to be honest. Um, I, I mean that's what's so fun about oh the actual Ocean's Eleven is because the casting is so good. I mean like. No one else in maybe the history of movies is better than Julia Roberts at, at playing that sort of role than, you know, Julia Roberts. You can't pick anyone else, just for example. Yeah. Um, Speaking of people who are really good in their role, let's get into this Andy Garcia role. He's the owner of the casino, if you don't remember. Yeah. There's a, that's, a, that's pretty well cast. It's tough. Well, you can open the box here. I think a little, I think more than the last few roles that we've done because he just has to be, so this actor kind of has to be cool, has to be in his mid to late fifties. Um, and he, yeah, he's a quote unquote villain, but he's also kind of half in the joke because he's playing the role like seriously, but not too seriously at the same time. His seriousness is the joke sort of, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'll go because you just described the reason that I picked the person for the role that I did. Actually. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I think Al Pacino could work in this role. I wrote down Al Pacino. That's funny because Al Pacino really? actually is in Ocean's 13 and he plays right. this role in Ocean's 13. Yeah. So I, you could do That's that. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could also do like a De Niro. Like De Niro could do it. I don't, know, I, I don't think it's a perfect. Well, just acting. Uh, maybe not. Hmm. Hmm. But, I mean, Pacino for sure, though. Like, yeah. And we literally got it in 13. Right. In 13 isn't great, but, you know, oh well. Can't win them all. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I, I guess if you think about it, the Garcia role is a lot more perfect than perfectly casted than than you would you would think. I guess. Um, That's what I was saying. It's like tough. It it is it is a little it, it is a little dicey. Um, I know this sounds ridiculous, but could Daniel Day Lewis pull pull off something like this? This is not the type of movie Daniel Day Lewis would be in. Absolutely. Yeah. I- but this is very much not a Daniel Day Lewis movie. I don't. I don't know. I think that would. He's be Daniel Day Lewis, so he could, because he's yeah. him, and he could play any role, basically. Pretty much. But I don't know about that one. Hmm. What about Ralph Fiennes? Ooh, I love this. I'm down. This is okay. Now this is this that is perfect. That works. To a yeah, T. I, kind of, I like. I don't it. know if you make him do a different accent, but. Um, he can do any accent, though. But he could do it. Oh, for sure. I love the Ralph Fiennes. That would be my pick, actually. Ah, you just put the words into my mouth. Jesus. Because he would be pretty funny in certain situations, but he could also definitely tone it, like, bring it home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can totally uh, I like imagine Oliver. him, like, busting all the guys in 12 to try to get his money back and – you know, kind of playing into the joke. I mean, you kind of see it in... I mean, you see it a little bit in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's, that's, that's a good one. I mean, the only one other one I'd throw the out there... I'd, I'll throw one more out there because I thought of it. I, I, I think I'd go with fines, but Russell Crowe could probably pull that role off. Really? I don't, I, I, I don't think Russell Crowe can do the jokes. I really... I, that... He's very serious. He's a very serious actor or overly serious actor. That's kind of the joke, though, is how overly serious he is, though. It's kind of funny, the other he guys. He kind of has to be in on the joke, but I don't think he can get in on the joke. He's a very... I don't know. I don't hmm. know. What do you think, Alex? It's kind of funny, the other guys. I mean, he's not... Yeah, that's totally what I was thinking of. Full of oh, other heat. guys. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Um... Which other guys kind of has like, it's a different movie, but it has like some sort of similar tone in kind of like in certain comedy aspects. Um, I think you could do it, but it wouldn't be my pick. Um, I don't know. It, on the surface level, it wouldn't really be my pick, but I, Russell Crowe is very good. I, I don't know if he would be bad at it either. It's an interesting one. Just how serious he is and how, like, serious he takes the performance, I think, would be the joke. Like, okay, this guy. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, and two other names. Um, Colin Firth 
Maybe. Uh, like right now, and then uh, Jeffrey Rush for sure. I think Jeffrey Rush would be really good. Jeffrey Rush would be hilarious. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it doesn't get serious enough then, but Jeffrey Rush would be hilarious. Um, Je- <laughs> it'd be interesting. <laughs> What's Jeffrey Rush been in lately? Is, I remember the last thing Jeffrey Rush has done. Probably the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Probably. Uh, He's off in those, by the way, but... I saw the Coen Brothers movie, Intolerable Cruelty, recently, and that, it, I mean... I'm kind of looking for that Cohen Brothers, Wes Anderson vibe. Someone who can do that, but can, but also can sort of take up the screen when they need to. Um, and Garcia does that perfectly in this movie while also being super smooth. But I don't think that actor, but I don't think that role absolutely has to be smooth. Like I think Bill Murray could probably pull it off, for example, the Andy Garcia role. I feel like that would be too distracting. Or maybe that maybe that is too distracting. Okay, that's fair. Because then it kind of turns the casino owner, owner into a meme, like, "Oh, it's Bill Murray owning a casino." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just looked up Jeffrey Rush act uh, movies, and the first picture is of him in the King's Speech with like a suit on and like clean cut, and then the next picture is of him as Captain Barbosa and pirates. So I just found that funny. If you want to look it up just <laughs> two side by side jeffrey rush is a wonderful actor a nominated yeah. actor he's also been a villain in a, in a giant franchise series and can also do comedy in like a coen brothers movie he's a he's a wonderful actor jeffrey rush is the best he, he would he you know he's my pick him or, the, him or ralph fines i'm gonna call them first i'm redoing this movie I can't argue with both those picks. I like both of them. I think they bring two different things to the movie, but I think both of them work. Wait, Jeffrey Rush is in Finding Nemo? He is a voice. He's a voice voice of Nigel. Probably is a voice. (laughs) There's a lot of good actors. There's a lot of good voice actors in Finding Nemo. You'd be surprised. Yeah. It's a well-casted voice acting movie. Yeah. It really is. Nigel. That's really... That's that's a good one. All right, one more role to cast. And I wanted to add this one specifically because I have someone picked that is, like, so perfect. Uh, and I, want, I would want to see this man interacting with all of these people in, like, an Ocean's Eleven-type setting. That's the Carl Reiner role, kind of the grumpy old guy. Yeah. And Don Rickles in that role would be spectacular. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I didn't have a ton of ideas for this um, because you kind of have to have a physical presence to go along with this role. So, it, yeah. Yeah, and you can't be too big. You got to be, you kind of have to be a smaller, like a lesser known sort of actor, you know? And and I thought of up, up of guys like Tracy Letts, but then I'm like, I don't think he could do really the comedy aspect of it. Um, even though yeah, I, I don't see that. Letts. So, yeah, yeah. What about Jeff Goldblum? I want Jeff Goldblum to be in this movie, but I don't know what the role is. <laughs> he can almost pull off the Don Cheadle role, actually. Hmm. If you go a younger Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum younger, like, Jeff younger Goldblum, obviously, like, yeah. chill, like the big chill Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. You know? mm. That would be good. That would be good. Yeah, we just we just did the we just did the Don Cheadle role. We didn't even mean to. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. I like that idea. I want him to be in the movie. 
you know, I, it's just a matter of where. Um, yeah, I like that. Could actually could just thought of this. Could Glenn Close pull off the Julia Roberts role? I'm thinking like Glenn Close from The Natural. I don't. I know maybe. Like, maybe. But Glenn Close can do a lot of different things. That's true. I think that's why I said it. I don't think she's ever as good as Julia Roberts. I, I don't. In fact, like, like I said earlier, I don't think anyone's as good as Julia Roberts in this role in like history, like ever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. First but, for the Reiner role, what about Helen Mirren? In the Reiner, kind of like like rumpy. Because she could bring the comedy too. She might she be can. too big. You think she's too big? Yeah. I, I don't. I actually don't think so. I think she could kind of work in that role. That's a good idea. I like that. I feel like this, this is the role to pick, like an older big actor, though. Oh. I still think Don Rickles is perfect, but I, I don't. I like the Helen Mirren pick too. Don Rickles is. I. Yeah, that works. I like that too. Just imagine Again, Don Rickles being grumpy and roasting Paul Newman. Again, that's another, how yeah. <laughs> this is another place where you could probably you could literally just slide in Jeffrey Rush and be like, do this role. You know? I like that. I like that too. Like older like Jeffrey Rush, if you take him in five years, right? Five years from now. <laughs> I like that. I know we're picking people who haven't existed yet. <laughs> But sort of like I did with Tom Holland earlier, but you know, they don't know. Well, Willem Dafoe. I think he's too big too. I think that's again that's really distracting. I don't. I don't know if that's quite. Mm, I don't know. I think Willem Dafoe is almost better than the Garcia role. Mm. Yeah, that could work too. Like a few years ago, Willem Dafoe. Like 2010, Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just gonna adopt the Rickles pick. I like the Rickles pick. Yeah, I I, I <laughs> Don Rickles. <laughs> you never argue with Don Rickles. All right, so we have recasted wow. Ocean's Eleven. That's fun. <laughs> oh, lots of Soderbergh content. What? Yeah, lots of Soderbergh content. I'm I'm all here for lots of Soderbergh content. You know me. Yeah. I'm a huge fan, big fan. But, uh, yeah. That, that's our recast. We what, will be. What next? What movie should we do next? What movie should we recast next? On the recastables. Let's not forget to plug our stolen uh, title. <laughs> Completely stolen title. <laughs> You always want to recast a movie with like big casts because then you can. There's a lot of more options. But hmm. could we recast the Avengers? Do something stupid like that? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like that, I feel like that one's been done to death. But why not do it then? Or we cut. Or yeah, well, we okay. haven't like recast the Avengers. With that, like, I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Alex. I, I said it's been recast to death, but also I don't know who's like recast the Avengers with like actors from like the 1940s. I've seen I've seen like Steve McQueen put in it, but that's not the uh, '40s necessarily. But Steve yeah. McQueen as Captain America, give me that. That's a very different performance than Chris Evans, but it still works. It's, it's, it's cooler works. Captain America. Oh, that's what I need, though. That's what I want. <laughs> we couldn't recast Knives Out. That would be kind of fun. 
I thought about that one for this first one when I was trying to think of what movie we should do. I was like, oh, Knives Out. Hmm. We could do Knives Out. Once upon a lot of time in Hollywood. I mean, there's a bunch of things. There's a bunch of movies we can pick. I, I like Knives, Knives Out. Out. That's kind of fun. Knives Out's fun because there's so many different like roles to play. Like, like we could come up with like 80 people to try to like fit like a puzzle piece into the Daniel Craig thing that just wouldn't work as well as Daniel Craig did. But we could we could try it. There'd be some funny ones in that one. Lots of different personalities to take from. So it would be interesting. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. I mean, The Departed, The Godfather, like, Goodfellas. I'm just, like, going down a list uh, off the top of my head. Let's go with the uh, – let's. I like the Knives Out thing because it came out recently, and we can kind of go all through history for that one. Yeah, that would be fun. Let's yeah, sure, I'm down. We have to right. ask the cardigan, though, the huge character. The memes, you know, the – the cardigan on the. <laughs> I, oh, I have a. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be fun. We'll do that. So that'll be. When do we want to do that? Should we do this? Uh, should we make this like biweekly or something? So. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a couple ideas for what we're doing every week, so we can talk about that off the podcast. We won't bore you with those logistical discussions. Yeah. <laughs> We'll go talk about that. We'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the Frankenweenie region of the Harmony Corinne Memorial Tournament, as well as some other movie discussion. So for Alex Weiner, Julia Sorge, and Kofi Riley, I'm Ethan Jordan. We'll see you next week. <laughs>